Dr. Albert Einstein and coach John Wooden share a similar brilliance. Specifically, both mastered the complicated art of keeping it simple. For Dr. Einstein, the complexities of nuclear fusion were summed up in the elegance of a simple equation, E equals MC squared. For coach Wooden, 10 national championships are summed up in the simplicity of an elegant formula. 10 equals conditioning plus fundamentals plus unity. Simple as that, only not so simple. That's from the book Wooden on Leadership, which dives into the mind of John Wooden as he coached UCLA basketball to 10 championships over a 12-year period. We're going to discuss Wooden's pyramid of success in detail and highlight qualities that players singled out about their mentor. Wooden emphasized that excellence is not a fixed destination, but a journey that requires constant hard work and self-improvement. From fulfilling our potential to the power of practice, Wooden shares many principles that can help anyone become a better leader. So get ready for a fascinating episode on leadership from one of my personal role models, John Wooden. I believe leadership itself is largely learned. Certainly, not everyone can lead, nor is every leader destined for glory, but most of us have a potential far beyond what we think possible. As I read this quote from Wooden, I immediately thought of Anton Ego in the movie Ratatouille. He gives this very great speech on being a critic, the trouble with being a critic, defending creativity, and part of that is how he talks about anyone can become a chef. And this was a famous phrase in the movie. Anton Ego said, In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for Chef Gusteau's famous motto, anyone can cook. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great artist, but a great artist can come from anywhere. It is difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now cooking at Gusteau's, who is, in this critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest chef in France. We know that in Ratatouille, he was talking about a rat who's passionate about cooking, but I think this is a funny analogy because it's just as easily applied to anyone else with that hard work and passion to fulfill their potential. And we will see This is a core belief of John Wooden. If you apply hard work and you're passionate about something, you could fulfill your potential way beyond than what most people would think if you don't have maybe the athletic ability or the natural talent. I even think about in the sports world, people like Tom Brady or Giannis Attentacumpo, Nikola Jokic in the NBA. These are people who came into the league with lower draft positions and may have been a little bit chubby, like Jokic was chubby before, Giannis was a very skinny guy. And with hard work and consistent effort, they became some of the best players in their league. And Tom Brady arguably is the best player in NFL history. So I think this core element of John Wooden is something we're going to see again and again. He believes that it is up to our responsibility, not necessarily to win, but to become our best selves, to fulfill our potential. He would go on to say, Americans, perhaps by nature, are most competitive. 
In sports, business, and almost all areas of life, they not only ask who's number one, they want to be number one and constantly compare themselves against that standard. Am I the biggest, the best, the fastest? However, for most of my life, I have believed these are the wrong questions to ask. His dad would share critical wisdom with Wooden when he was young about what is the right thing to strive for. It's not winning, it's fulfilling your potential. His dad would say, sons, don't worry about whether you're better than somebody else, but never cease trying to be the best you could become. You have control over that, the other you don't. Time spent comparing myself to others, he cautioned, was time wasted. So early on in John Wooden's life, he's learning from his father this stoic philosophy of focusing on what you can control and stop comparing yourselves to others, stop thinking about winning or the destination, the end result. Focus on the process. Be the best that you can fulfill your potential. And if you do that, you will find success and the rewards will come after. John Wooden would say, For most of my life, I have believed that success is found in the running of the race. How you run the race, your planning, preparation, practice, performance, counts for everything. Winning or losing is a byproduct, an after effect of that effort. For me, it's the quality of your effort that counts most and offers the greatest and most long-lasting satisfaction. Although he was the most winningest coach in college basketball history, he did not even focus on the winning. He focused on his potential and on that journey, and he realized if he does this, the score will take care of itself. He will end up winning. It will be the natural byproduct of his great performance. So John Wooden first begins his coaching career in the early 30s, and he was hired to coach English while coaching multiple sports in high school, coaching football, basketball, and baseball. And when he first started coaching, he didn't think he was a very good coach. He had just started at this role, but he had that internal soundtrack that he can become a great coach. And over the ensuing 40 years, he developed his pyramid of success framework, which encapsulates all the leadership lessons that he feels makes him a great coach. So the book is not really a biography. It's not necessarily going through John Wooden's life step by step. It instead goes deep into his pyramid of success framework and each of the pillars of that pyramid. And then it talks about many stories or different leadership concepts that he believes any leader should follow. And it includes really great stories from some of his former coaches and players that he worked with. So I'm going to be starting off with the pyramid of success. We're going to go through each of the main pillars of that pyramid of success, share some stories from John Wooden as well, and then we'll go into some of the values that he believes any great leader should exemplify. The very first cornerstone of the pyramid is industriousness. You must rise early and work late. It became one of the first lessons my brothers and I learned. There is no trick, no easy way to accomplish a difficult task, no substitute for good old-fashioned work. So we see this first pillar for John Wooden is that hard work. We can't simply be going through the motions in our job. We need to be working hard, and there's no way to get around that. Now, the second cornerstone is that enthusiasm or passion. He would say, 
As a leader, you must be filled with energy and eagerness, joy and love for what you do. If you lack enthusiasm for your job, you cannot perform to the best of your ability. Success is unattainable without enthusiasm. We basically need this passion to bust our ass and to really inspire our team. If we expect our team to work incredibly hard and we have to work very hard to build a startup or to run a company, run a team like he was doing, then we need to have that passion to actually show up and work hard every day. And he would say how that combination, hard work and enthusiasm, it is very powerful together. Hard work and enthusiasm are contagious. A leader who exhibits them will find the organization does too. As we use our hard work and our passion to build something, we inspire everyone around us, our team, to do the same. And I think for me, this resonated very much with the PayPal team when I was speaking with the author Jimmy Sony of the Founders book, because he would talk about how the PayPal team they would work incredibly hard. They were working on a very challenging problem and they would work incredibly hard, but there was this natural passion and excitement to create the first online payment solution or this very functional online payment solution. So we see these two pillars of the pyramid of success to John Wooden is hard work and enthusiasm. And we know those two things together help people reach their potential way beyond what skeptics may think is possible. Now, the other three traits for the foundation of the pyramid, the very bottom layer, are friendship, loyalty, and cooperation. When he spoke about friendship, he usually would refer to finding respect and sharing camaraderie. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to be buddy-buddy, but you just want to build this mutual trust between each other. With loyalty, he cautioned that if you're only thinking about your concerns and your own interests, then you're never going to build loyalty amongst your team. You have to be thinking from the other person's point of view and create those win-win relationships. Now, the final block, cooperation, is where you want to assist your teammates, make their job easier. And as a leader, it's very important to make the environment psychologically safe so other people can challenge assumptions. Wooden would say, a strong leader accepts blame and gives the credit. A weak leader gives blame and accepts the credit. So we see from this, cooperation is not just making your teammates' jobs easier, but as a leader, you also have to give them the carrot when they do well and take the blame so people feel that they're allowed to take risks in the future. If you are always admonishing your employees when they take that risk, then they will slowly stop taking any risk. So we're now going to move into the pyramid's second tier. And in the second tier, this is much more about head than heart. We know the first tier is some of that heart, that hard work and enthusiasm. The second tier is more about your head, starting with self-control. Wooden would go on to say, self-control in the little things leads to control of bigger things. For example, the reason I prohibited profanity was because it was usually caused by frustration or anger. I felt that a player who couldn't control his language when he got upset during a scrimmage would be more likely to lose control in more damaging ways during the heat of competition. Fouling, fighting, or making other poor decisions that would almost always hurt the team. There's a powerful story that is very similar to this in The Last Dance, the documentary on Michael Jordan, 
where the Pistons, the bad boys, had beaten Jordan's Bulls in two straight playoffs in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And now they were facing off for the third straight time and they would constantly get smacked to the floor. They would constantly get beaten up during play. And in the past matchups that they had with the Pistons bad boys, the Bulls would constantly complain and they would get angry. They would get upset and their quality of play would worsen over time. So Phil Jackson had inspired his team. I mean, through the use of meditation, calming emotions, he had inspired his team to instead of building up their emotions and letting frustration get the best of them, they would now get up from the floor after being smacked to the floor on a layup, for example, they would get up and not respond at all. They would just walk to the free throw line, not be angry, not complain with refs. And that act showed the Pistons that they couldn't intimidate the Bulls anymore. This self-control of your emotions, it was so powerful that the Bulls were able to signal to the Pistons that Listen, it is our time now. We've conquered your mind games. And we see this was a similar mentality for John Wooden. He didn't want his players at UCLA and his former teams to lose control while they're playing. And it's even more powerful that if you're able to keep control of your emotions, even when the other team is trying to physically intimidate you, it could be that much more of a signal that you are not going to back down to the challenge. Moving on to the second block in this row, we have alertness, or in many ways, it's awareness. And this is where you must respond to the types of competitive threats, like innovators dilemma types of threats, before they erode your core business or before they stifle your team. He would say, a driver who's asleep at the wheel will crash. The same happens to organizations whose leader does not exhibit alertness. Their common refrain, I didn't see it coming. So for John Wooden with basketball, this could be in the regular season if he sees that certain plays his team is more likely to commit turnovers, he starts realizing this is something we have to work on because in the playoffs, another team may take advantage of us. And we've seen this in the business world as well with people like John Malone. When he realized that the government was going to come in and force him to separate his TCI business, both the cable operator business and the cable channel business, he did it himself and he separated out Liberty Media. And then we know he went on to build more of his net worth with Liberty Media. It's the current holding of much of his net worth today. So this is alertness. It is this innovator's dilemma type of response to any competitive threat in your core business. Now, the third block is initiative. And that, in many ways, is the willingness to take risks. And we know with innovator's dilemma, leaders and managers must be willing to take risks even if there's a chance of failure. He would say, a basketball team that won't risk mistakes will not outscore opponents. The same is true for any organization. Don't live in fear of making a mistake. Failure to act is often the biggest failure of all. I saw that very similar to Pixar's Ed Catmull, Wooden would keep experimenting and experimenting with new tactics and strategies on the court, even if it meant losing a game in the short term to try to improve, to try to find new opportunities for growth and excellence. He would say, a good leader always seeks improvement, always. This list is an example of the answers I came up with when I asked myself the question, 
How can we improve this year? Accepting the status quo means a leader feels no further improvement can be made. I never reached a point in 40 years of teaching basketball where I felt no further improvement could be made. And that applied to every area of the game, including my own leadership skills. So we can see very clearly with John Wooden, he has this mentality that we must take the initiative, we must have that willingness to take risks, we must be aware of the competitive threats that are showing up in our business, and we also always have to be learning and growing, finding that area for improvement because there may be an opportunity for even better performance in your organization. And he was very much afraid of complacency. He felt like the infection of success is complacency. My message sounded an alarm. Specifically, don't assume that past successes will happen again in the future. I wanted each player to be very aware that UCLA's two recent national championships did not guarantee them anything in the coming season. The championships belong to previous teams, not them. That type of paranoia of complacency is a great way to avoid the innovator's dilemma. Now, the fourth block of this second row of the pyramid was on intentness. And intentness was mainly a persistence to keep trying, keep giving it your effort when others have given up. Now, I want to transition to what he called the heart of the pyramid. And this was made up of conditioning, fundamentals, and unity. We know those three keys that his co-author felt like made up the core of John Wooden. When it comes to conditioning, John Wooden wanted his players to have both the physical fitness side, like being able to handle full court press across a 40-minute game, very intense ask, and the mental resilience, the mental side like bouncing back from challenges. And I think even if we're in cognitive domains, we still should prioritize this basic level of conditioning. Maybe it's not full court press across a 40-minute basketball game, but definitely I think for even cognitive people, an hour a day of exercise, it keeps your mind active and it helps release all those endorphins, different dopamine chemicals into your body. Now, when it comes to fundamentals, John Wooden was very much a student of the game, and that's what he recommended to his players as well. He would say, you must know all facets of your job, not just parts of it, and be able to execute quickly and correctly. And as we know, to do this, he felt like we should be lifelong learners. He would say, the best leaders are lifelong learners. They take measures to create organizations that foster and inspire learning throughout. As we know, there's many famous people that I admire, we look up to, like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, who have read thousands of books over their lifetime. And they are these clear examples of lifelong learners and clearly have reached these pinnacles of success in their careers. And John Wooden, he was a huge proponent of the lifelong learner mentality. That was his core trait of the fundamentals, the very heart of his pyramid of success. His former player and assistant coach, Denny Crum, would describe further John Wooden's lifelong learner mindset mentality even after coming off of four straight NCAA championships. Crum would say, I brought with me some experience in my own ideas, which he welcomed. Those he liked, we put in during practice. If they worked, fine. 
If not, we took it out. He never thought his way was the only way. Coach would say, I don't need yes men. If they're going to say yes to everything I do, I don't need them around. We probably know many leaders, if they're coming off that much success, four straight championships or being the biggest sales company in an industry, they become maybe stuck in their ways or they don't necessarily want to listen to outside feedback and look for those points of improvement. But we know with John Wooden, that was not the case. He was always listening. He was always open to taking a chance on new opportunities, new strategies, and looking for these ways that maybe it will lead to slightly better performance. He was afraid of that complacency and he wanted to be this lifelong learner. Now, the last block was unity and unity was basically team spirit, an eagerness to sacrifice personal interests or glory for the welfare of all. And this is where I believe you want those A players, as we know many executives have talked about wanting the most talented people that's expected, but you don't want necessarily a selfish team. You want people who are A players, but they can work together. And the team that reminds me of that most, in the NBA at least, is the Spurs. For many years, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, Kawhi Leonard, They were all incredible players, but they didn't let the ego get the best of them. They were better as the sum of their parts than as individuals. And Wooden would say, your team becomes greater than the sum of its players with this team spirit, with this unity. So we want to find ways to build that camaraderie, that mutual trust amongst your team and make sure their egos don't get ahead of them. And at times that leads to teams being split up like the Kobe Shaq era of the Lakers. When we put all these traits together, we get to the top of John Wooden's pyramid of success. And the top has poise and confidence. Poise is that performance under pressure, all that hard work, preparation that you've put in thus far. It lets you actually perform once you've reached this pinnacle. And confidence, Wooden would say, real abiding confidence like poise is earned only by tenaciously pursuing and attaining those assets that allow you to reach your own level of competency, the potential you have within. So now we're at this top of the pyramid, we have the poise and confidence, and once we close off, we've put in all our hard work, our enthusiasm, bringing the team together, we are at the highest block, topping off the pyramid, and that is what John Wooden likes to call competitive greatness. And competitive greatness, like we mentioned earlier, it comes regardless of the win or the loss. John Wooden would not focus on winning. He would not even mention winning to his team, but rather competitive greatness comes when you give it your best in the highest of stakes and you enjoy that journey. You are that lifelong learner. You're appreciating the journey along the way. He would say, The hard struggle is to be welcomed, never feared. The struggle itself, the test, is what gives value to the prize and is something the competitive leader truly revels in. So we see here how he's not defining success as simply winning the game. He is defining it as overcoming that struggle as really bringing out your best in the highest of moments. And he would continue with, I believe that personal greatness is measured against one's own potential, not against that of someone else on the team or elsewhere. Each member of your team has a potential for personal greatness. The leader's job 
is to help them achieve it. I thought this was really great wisdom because we live now in the social media age where we constantly compare ourselves to others. And in many ways, that could bring us down. And in reality, we should be thinking in this John Wooden mold that personal greatness is truly becoming a better version of ourselves and doing our best, giving it our best every day. If we fulfill our potential, that is really this personal greatness. That is really success, becoming better every day, working hard, working with passion or enthusiasm. And as a result, we will get those byproducts. We will win in our game or we will have a successful company, for example. But I really think in the social media age, we compare ourselves so much to our peers when really we should define our success based on our own improvement over time. This was his father's sage advice to him. When you've done your best, you may call yourself a success. And we know with John Wooden, all those championships, 10 championships, all the rewards will be a byproduct of that daily practice and hustle. We're now going to transition from John Wooden's pyramid of success into some of the stories across his career that reveals core insights and frameworks for leading a team or leading any organization. And it starts with good values are like a magnet. They attract good people. So this framework, John Wooden would share a story that back in the day when he was playing basketball, he was getting paid $50 per game to play. And it was this really tough situation that he had to drive through a deathly snowstorm with one of his teammates just to get to their game in time. And his teammate and him, they drive through the snowstorm. It's very dangerous. Luckily, they end up arriving to this game at halftime. And the team is down. And Wooden and his teammate, they come into the game and they end up helping their team win the game. So they end up getting that end result. But when the game ended, the owner went to Wooden and his teammate and he handed them each $25. He didn't hand them the full $50. He was trying to signal, you only played half a game, so I'm only going to give you half pay. And Wooden, he responded in a shocked sense. He would say, right there, he revealed his true colors. My friend and I had risked our lives driving through that snowstorm for him, and I had then helped his team secure victory. But as I learned when he's handed me the money, all this meant very little to him. It meant a lot to me. His values were not my values. We would see repeatedly throughout the book how Wooden's values would transcend winning or status in any way. His former player would go on to share another story, saying, In 1947, we got invited to a big national tournament. One problem, they prohibited blacks from playing. One of our teammates, Clarence Walker, was black. Coach Wooden turned down the invitation. He wouldn't leave Clarence behind. It happened again the next year. We got the same invitation. Again, Coach Wooden turned it down. This time, the tournament backed off. They changed the rules. Only after that would Coach accept the invitation. So for John Wooden, he really believed that these good values are like a magnet. They will attract the right people. They will attract good people to seek you out and to try to find you. And 
Probably the most prominent example of this for Coach Wooden was with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So as John Wooden was coaching UCLA, this generational high school prospect, Kareem, was coming up and pretty much every coach in the country was clamoring for his signature. They were trying to get Kareem meeting with him, suckering up to him. But Wooden, he had this rule in place that he would wait for players to come to him. He would say, seek those with a fire in the belly enthusiasm for your organization. The last thing you want is people in your organization who had to be talked into being there, who needed convincing that your team was worthy of them. So eventually, Kareem decided that he wanted to choose UCLA. He sought out John Wooden. He ended up meeting with John Wooden, learning about the values that Wooden puts out. And he ended up choosing UCLA for these values. He was looking for someone with these similar good values like race equality and a great academic program. Former players were speaking very highly of Wooden and Wooden having this really blind look to any type of color. We saw the last example with turning down the invitation when they don't let black people play in the tournament. That is very appealing to Kareem and his own values. So Kareem would go on to share some of the things that set apart John Wooden. He would say winning was never mentioned by him. For Coach Wooden, it was, fellas, we've got to play at our best. Let's do that. That's a lot different from saying, fellas, we've got to win. A lot different. Race, religion, they didn't matter. What mattered was the effort you made on the court and in the classroom. What mattered was your behavior, your conduct, your values. So these types of values in John Wooden clearly brought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the greatest players in NBA history, to UCLA to want to be coached under John Wooden. And Kareem, he shares this about Wooden with his winning mentality. Wooden does not focus on winning. He focuses on playing at your best and not caring about race or all the other smaller things that don't necessarily contribute to your best. And Wooden also had a very core impact on Kareem in the leadership department. Kareem would go on to say, one of his strongest assets as a leader was his patience. A lot of players were skeptical about various things, and it would take a while to win them over. Coach would let them try it their way and fail. He was good at that. It's the best way to teach, because after they failed, they wanted to know how to do it right. They wanted to learn how to do it right more than they wanted to prove coach wrong. So here's this 57-year-old guy, and he gets out there and shows them how to do it right. He knew how to do it right in all departments. We could see how big of an impact Coach Wooden had on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and it led him to develop his own strong values as he went forward and entered the NBA and then became one of the greatest players, all-time leading scorer up until this year in the NBA. And we know as well, this mentality, good values are like a magnet, they attract good people, that can be a double-edged sword as well. Which means, if you have one selfish player, or one ball hog, for example, that can ruin the team just as much as organizing a bunch of good players can make the team excel. Wooden shares... Consider what happens when you bring an individual on board for whom character doesn't count for much. 
You've placed a rotting apple into a barrel of good ones. This is a terrible mistake for a leader to make. This was a great nugget that I felt like we should take away and repeat. You've placed a rotting apple into a barrel of good ones. Anytime you're trying to create a high-performing organization, a team of A players, the second someone doesn't have that character or isn't willing to work as hard or conduct the same ethics as everyone else, that brings everyone else's standard of performance down. So it could really ruin the team's dynamics. The next lesson that John Wooden would share with us was that we should seek out and learn from the experts in our field to build a very deep knowledge base. And this is a lesson that Bill Gurley shares in a very influential talk given to UT. I believe the talk is called Running Down a Dream, where he goes through five different people who went, sought out the experts in their field, and ended up becoming the top one to two percent within their field in only a matter of a few years. This is a great way to fast track your learning in a particular field. John Wooden would say, there's a quicker way to gain the information experience provides. Namely, ask somebody who already has it. This is what I was doing in reaching out to the other coaches throughout my career. Some were mentors, others were teachers. All had experience and knowledge that I could draw on and benefit from. I paid attention to what they said because it made me a better teacher. I was shy as a teenager, but I was bold as an adult when it came to seeking ideas, opinions, and knowledge. For John Wooden, this was culminated in calling and learning from the Kentucky coach who beat him twice in pivotal games. So he's literally getting beat by another coach and he's calling, he's putting his ego aside. He's calling that head coach and trying to learn some of the tactics that led to that loss. And I think this is a great way for all of us to approach life, seeking out experts in your field, even experts in adjacent fields. And as you know, I think the goal of this podcast in some ways is learning from experts across many different fields to try to build a much deeper knowledge base and gain that semi-experience, any way that you could build knowledge and have some pattern matching ability to solve problems that you may have never seen before in your own experience. Now, the reverse of that for John Wooden was, although we could seek out others for advice and seek out all that expertise, that knowledge, he would tell us that leaders, CEOs, coaches, they must have the courage to make the tough decisions at the end of the game or in the critical quarterly meeting in a company, even if it upsets people. And this was a clear framework of Ben Horwitz as well. He would talk about how the leader has to be able to make the final call. They must have that courage and not try to split that decision across five different people, adjudicate the responsibility. Wooden would say, that's just one of the many things that makes leadership at times a solitary profession. You are the person charged with making the final tough choices while everybody else has the option of sitting on the sidelines complaining about it. So the next couple stories I want to share about John Wooden have to do with bouncing back from failure. In many ways, John Wooden was kind of a silent motivator. He felt like the most powerful motivation tool was oftentimes a pat on the back or in this sense, approval from someone that you respect, you look up to. Like with his players, he was someone with those high values, so they looked up to him. 
And he, in many ways, thought the carrot is greater than the stick. He wants people to try their best. As we know, his core philosophy is work your best every single day. And when he recognizes that, he gives you the pat on the back. Now, with failure, when you don't necessarily perform to the standard, he had this built-in expectation that you would be able to bounce back and in many ways benefit from your failure. He would say, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Most worthwhile things in the competitive world come wrapped in adversity. After reading this, I immediately thought of the soundtracks book that we just finished, that idea to amplify the internal thoughts and soundtracks that boost improvement, daily improvement, rather than inaction, putting yourself down. It causes inaction. You end up not making the next decision or moving forward. And I really think in many ways, John Wooden believed in post-traumatic growth. Anytime you're experiencing a lot of stress or a big failure, such as not getting a job you wanted, your company's not performing as you expected, you didn't get into the college you expect, you're diagnosed with a potential chronic condition, for example, all of these are times when you're hit with this stress, this real negative event. John Wooden, in many ways, would believe that this is an opportunity for growth. This is an opportunity for improvement in using that potential slight or using that lost opportunity to find an even better option. With Wooden, this experience was most visceral when he was choosing which college he wanted to coach at. And originally, John Wooden actually wanted to become the head coach of University of Minnesota. It was closer to home from him. He had much more recruiting connections on the East Coast than on the West Coast, UCLA. But the problem was University of Minnesota had offered to him the role of head coach while keeping on the current head coach as an assistant coach. They wanted to move the current head coach down one position into assistant and then keep John Wooden or bring in John Wooden as the new head coach. And John Wooden, he obviously didn't want to do this. This would lead to a culture clash. They would have different philosophies on coaching. It's very hard to keep the old head coach if you're trying to bring in many new tactics and strategies. So he told University of Minnesota to give him an answer by 6 p.m. on that weekend if they're willing to bring him in without the old coach, if they're willing to just straight out fire the old coach and bring in John Wooden as the head coach of University of Minnesota. Now, it was on the weekend, I believe it was Sunday, John Wooden was sitting at home waiting for the call from University of Minnesota. He thought he was going to receive a call and 6 p.m. comes, no call. 6.30 p.m. comes, no call. 7 p.m. comes, he gets a call, he's excited, he runs to the phone, he picks up the phone, and it's UCLA. And UCLA was now asking, what's your decision going to be? And John Wooden, since at this point it had been past 6 p.m., he hadn't heard from University of Minnesota. He gave them this deadline, but he hadn't heard from them. He decided to accept the UCLA Bruins coaching job. But the problem was... Minnesota had actually agreed to his request of firing the old head coach. The only issue was that they couldn't physically make that call. The call never actually went through to John Wooden because there was a blizzard. So at this point, we're seeing 
This feels like a very visceral hit to John Wooden. It's the coaching position that was close to home. He had connections. He thought he would be a better coach at University of Minnesota, but he had already agreed to the UCLA job. He has those high values, so he knew he had to stay true to his word with UCLA. And really, he decided, this is the position I'm in. I'm going to make the best of my coaching job. I'm not going to do a, a worse job, for example, hoping that eventually I could go to Minnesota. And as we know, he did end up becoming one of the greatest coaches in college basketball history, right? So he turned this potential negative for him, this negative experience, into a huge positive. He shares a very similar lesson with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as well. In college, while Kareem was playing, they decided to outlaw the dunk. So college basketball, for a few years, they were not allowing players to dunk anymore. I think they felt that it was too easy of a basket. And in this sense, Kareem, it was one of his strong suits. He's very tall. He's a big center type of player. He now had to change his game a bit. And John Wooden shares how because they outlawed the dunk in college and Kareem had to adjust to this new game, he ended up developing what Wooden says is possibly the greatest offensive weapon in the NBA, Kareem's sky hook. Any basketball fan knows that may be the most unguardable shot ever. It's one of these shots he shoots the ball over his head with the other player on the other side of his shoulder. It's very hard to block. It's very hard to guard. And it's a big reason why Kareem ended up becoming one of the greatest scorers in the history of the NBA, one of the greatest players. So we're seeing here two great examples of a negative experience for both Wooden and Kareem and finding ways to actually benefit from that, finding ways to bounce back when the going gets tough, the tough get going, and turn that negative into a positive. I do think one of the greatest challenges of bouncing back from failure is the limiting beliefs that we place on ourselves. It's those times that we tell ourselves this is impossible or be realistic. There's no way you could build a successful company. There's no way you could coach this team to the NCAA national championship every year. So we place these limiting beliefs, and that was something that, unfortunately, John Wooden was dealing with as well. As he experienced some failure throughout his career, he had placed some limiting beliefs on his own trajectory. He would share that in 1962, for many years previously, as Wooden was coaching UCLA, they would not make it very far in the tournament. They would always lose as they got to the tournament or before the tournament. And he placed much of that blame on the fact that UCLA would play in these very poor, dingy practice facilities. Unfortunately, they hadn't built out Poly Pavilion, their state-of-the-art gym right now. So they were playing in this really poor facility and sometimes even driving to other adjacent cities to play in those gyms instead. And that implanted this very dangerous limiting belief within John Wooden's head that they can't move far in the NCAA tournament without a nice gym to practice in, a real state-of-the-art gym. And his limiting belief was burst when he made a deep trip into the tournament. He made the Final Four in 1962. So it was up until this point that Wooden had this limiting belief and once they made the final four in 62, he finally 
realized this limiting belief is not serving him. He would say, if I had been using the men's gym as a rationale for poor performance in past NCAA appearances, we had lost in the first round three straight times. I couldn't use it anymore. A subconscious barrier had been removed. A light went on. So I think there's a real power in trying to remove our limiting beliefs however possible. And I especially think in some ways seeking out those experts or mentors, getting close to peers in your industry, this is a great way to remove or lower your limiting beliefs because you will actively see these examples of people who have exceeded despite the wildest challenges in their career, starting from nothing in building these massive businesses. I love reading these stories of famous entrepreneurs like Sam Zell or John D. Rockefeller, Ken Langone, one of the founders of Home Depot. All these people, you read their stories, you see these examples of people who have exceeded even the toughest of challenges going from the very bottom to the top of the food chain, and it makes you believe that that is possible. It removes those limiting beliefs and it helps you in your own efforts at bouncing back from failure, it gives you that internal motivation that you can actually bounce back, respond to failure, even when you didn't think it was possible before. The last, but certainly I feel like the most important lesson from John Wooden is his words, how you practice is how you play. He would say, practice, that is the process of your preparation, is where championships in any context are won. How you practice is how you play. Those under your leadership must be taught that little things make the big things happen. In fact, they must first learn there are no big things, only a logical accumulation of little things done at a very high standard of performance. This is exactly like the second book we read, Atomic Habits, which emphasizes the daily accumulation of small habits. James Clear would say, if you're able to get 1% better every day, by the end of the year, you're 37 times better. With John Wooden, he had this very similar mentality in how he approached their practices. He believed that this consistent daily improvement, this small accumulation of wins, will lead to big gains, like the eventual championships. One of his players would say, Coach Wooden taught that great things can only be accomplished by doing the little things right. And other people have recognized this quality in John Wooden as well. Charlie Munger would share that the Wooden lesson to him is that John Wooden would give most of the playing time to his top seven to eight players throughout the season. And that led to those players compounding their skill set so much over the season that by the end of the year, they were much better as a playing unit than their competitors. So John Wooden, he was always looking for these little edges, these small wins that could lead to a compounding or accumulation into a big win, like the championship. Some of the things he would do, you may be asking, what are other attention detail, extreme level of detail tactics that John Wooden would do to actually improve, get those small wins in practice? Now, the list is pretty unbelievable. What he would do just with feet, this is only how he would focus on his players' feet, was that he taught his players 
exactly how to tie their shoes, exactly how to put their socks on, and he would get precise measurements of each foot, even if one of your foots is slightly bigger or smaller than the other foot. He would get these precise measurements to make sure that the players don't suffer from any performance injuries or they get any blisters with their socks chafing in any way. Some of the other things he would do is in practices before an upcoming game, he would put one of the teams in the scrimmage to wear the jersey color of the opposing team they're about to play. So you get used to playing against that color. You become familiar with it. Another thing he did was banning long hair or beards within his team. He felt like if people have long hair or they have beards and at times throughout the game they're going to end up touching their hair, touching their beard, they're going to get sweat in their hand and that will lead to poor ball handling and it ends up leading to turnovers. So my reaction to this was just, wow, this guy, he's focusing on every small detail he can, every small win, and he knows through his consistent, aggressive practices, through compounding of the top seven players, by the end of the year, his unit is going to be so much better than any of their competitors. And for John Wooden, that practice, how you practice is how you play, was probably his most central philosophy. He would revel in the process of practice. His assistant coach would say, he built great teams in practice. He was a practice coach, and he conducted practices at a very high level. How you practice is how you play. In many ways, John Wooden didn't even care about the end result. He didn't even care about winning. All he cared about was that if his team put their best effort in practice, put their best effort in the daily hard work, accumulating those small wins, and he felt like if they do that, everything else will work itself out. His former player, Dave Myers, would say winning was not mentioned ever. Only the effort, the preparation, doing what it takes to bring out our best in practice and games. Let winning take care of itself. This is a great final lesson to take away from John Wooden. The score will take care of itself when you compound and make the right actions every single day. And as we know with John Wooden, he went on to have a phenomenal winning streak, although he wouldn't focus much on winning. He went on to win 10 national championships, including seven national championships in a row, seven straight national championships, and holding an 88-game winning streak. The amount of mental effort that it takes to sustain an 88-game winning streak is unfathomable. So John Wooden, he is this great leader for us to study. This is from his book, Wooden on Leadership, also written by Steve Jameson, and is truly one of the best books I've read on leadership and motivation. It's filled with these insights like exemplifying good values, prioritizing practice and this consistent daily improvement, bouncing back from failure, and his pyramid of success, which is a framework that's great for organizing teams and has many stories of his own journey towards personal greatness. So I learned a ton from this book. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. You learned a lot. And thanks again for listening.